Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to another glorious edition of Thrush and Treasure, the Torture Chamber Musical Comedy Podcast that goes to battle armed with double barrel shot puns and full metal jazz hands. And speaking of double, I'm Aaron, and I'm joined as usual by the weirdo who rammed a llama with his ramalama ding dong. It's Evan the Metal Man. How you going? <laughs> Good. Good. Yep. Anyways, guess where? Where? Oh, it worked. Oh my God. I can't believe that. We have another <laughs> legendary diva in the classless room today, and I'm so excited. I am wearing my fanciest hat. Fitting for this fascinatingly ferocious femme vocale first fashioned her theatrical future in the fine arts through today's chosen fever dream, where she schooled us all in trousers, sunglasses, and a hat before her swinging somersault onto the Broadway stage for Barnum grabbed New York by the juggling balls, which ringmastered an epic career on stage and screen, where even out-of-towners were taken to church by her killer vocals that left us a lucky stiff on the Chicago rink with guys and dolls named Marie, Whoopi, Christine and Marilyn after a funny thing happened on the way to the 42nd Street Forum. Wicked. But while on the town stages, this soulful star has shattered spirits and incited the shedding of streams of salty tears with her soaring, sorrowful and seductive signature stamp that had started supernova by letting us see what we want to see since sister cemented her spot on stereo screen stages and speakers as a result of resurrecting Jackie Kramer that one time. Don't be embarrassed. We all did crazy things in college. And so please congregate as we all sing out a huge Aussie g'day, how's it going to this quintessential queen of the mystifying musical mistresses who left us testifying and begging for more in a new brain before proving she'll seduce you as Medusa in Xanadusa until leading the nitty gritty weedy bicky committee of Oklahoma where she harvested her third Tony nomination for her performance as everyone's favourite racist aunt. But needless to say this ballsy belter's brilliant body of work shows why she was awarded a drama desk special achievement award for this incomprehensible legacy in progress so please help me welcome to the tnt music factory the magical mama mystic from the marvelous mrs mazel who made us all go mm, as maggie malpenemy medusa matilda marie's magdalena and forum's demeanor and no misdemeanor as myra mother and mom not madam maud madam morrible not major mama morton plus monica and the medium and a medium named shirley surely it's clear the impact this or aspiring actress has had on every character she inhabits so it is with infinite joy to be implicitly joined by this deadly dialogue dominatrix so raise up your finger snaps to the heavens with a yes goddess because it's the immaculate mary tester holy shit you are finally on my show i am so excited my god what an introduction that's amazing (laughs) how long did it take you to write that um a a few days to be honest because i (laughs) i noticed all those m's and i'm like okay here's my starting point Oh my goodness. And I know I said before the recording, I've got half the alliteration this time. I lied because I wanted to surprise you all because holy shit. Yeah, that was quite hard to say. I've been practicing for a week. Wow. That was really very, very good. I don't think I've had an intro as good as that ever. Do we do we need now have a new challenger for the fabulous Miss M? Yes, we do. <laughs> I think so. Because holy shit, that voice, you have been a fixture on at least my surround sound 
for oh so nice thank you blasting my neighbors away because you do belts holy crap i have to know first off have you ever shattered a wine glass i've never tried never tried i don't know that i i think that the shattering of the wine glass comes at a certain pitch and i think it's usually in the soprano range which i can do but i've never tried it yeah, and that's fair enough. Yeah, depend depends on the glass as well. You've got to find the resonant frequency of the glass. Also, yeah. I could shatter it by just throwing it on the floor while I'm singing. So that would that would work too. That's true. And it would add that diva flair to the scene as well because as I Exactly. Say, that's exactly right. But yes, no. how are you going? I'm good. I'm good. Um, all is good here. I've had a couple of months of doing nothing. Yep. You know, in the COVID lockdowns and the trying to avoid COVID, I've had a couple of months of just sort of being in my apartment and relaxing, and I'm actually really loving it, to tell you the truth. Yep. Um, but I'm about to get a little busier, and all is good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So first off, we're going to start with a regular question okay. that we asked our followers for a few weeks now. What would be in your ultimate fantasy dream rock star rider? Well, I love, you know, being specific about what kind of, like, I only want the green M&Ms yep. or, you know, I only want, I would probably, even though I don't eat sugar, I would probably say, I only want the red peanut butter M&Ms, just the yep. red ones. Uh, no one can look me directly in the eye. I always like that one. That's always a yep. good one. <laughs> yep. And um, I need a, a new pair of uh, high-end designer shoes pretty much every day I'm on the set or in on the stage or whatever. Shoes would be great. Now we are talking. That is right up my alley because one of my dream things would be a new pair of Converse exclusive to that location where I'm in. So- ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm a shoe hound, so I would love that. I, I probably yeah. could think of, if I wanted to be like a disgusting diva, I could probably think of a million things to put in a rider. And yeah. I'm sure that many superstars do have like a million things in their riders. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, I don't want to take up all the time by making up rider demands. It is about the fantasy yeah. In the end, and I, I would email people that question early, but I figured let's see what's impulsive to this answer, just for the fun of it. I love impulsive. Yeah, I like not to be prepared. That's it. That's so. kind of my favorite. Now, before we move on to the medal, what is your worst earworm? The worst song that gets stuck in your head. So let's get that out of the way now. Get it all stuck in all our heads. Oh, my God. Well, you know, I can't name one, but I will say that whenever I'm working on a new project, usually when you learn the music, all of it runs through your head, like all the time, like the first few days that you've learned it. So I'll say that like new music that I'm just learning will run through my head all the time. And also when I did Xanadu, Xanadu ran through our heads really a lot. All of the music of Xanadu that yes. How will that go then? Obviously, doing workshops, you learn a song and maybe in a day's time it's cut. Does that then stick around and linger? Yeah, then it sticks around a bit in your head. Yes, depending on the song, because you have to learn everything. Workshops are fast these days. You know, for the the things that are the most popular to do are called 29 hour readings Mm -hmm. where they literally have 29 hours. And generally and because actors are so fast. Generally, we learn all the music in one day and then take the time to put the script together with the music and then, you know, 
then the writers write and cut things. And so we learn the music fast. So it, it does tend to be a bit of an earworm for you when you're learning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, we'll move on to metal. Speaking of earworms, because this week we did pick a catchy band. Well, actually, I didn't pick it, and Evan didn't pick it, and nor did you, Mary. A friend of the show and and your best friend, Alison Fraser, picked today's album. She picked it. Yeah. Yep. She picked three albums for me to choose from, and one of them was Metallica. We've done them twice. The other one was ACDC, which, being Australian, there, you know. Mama's milk to us, really, right. at the end of the day. So I figured Van Halen, I don't really know. So, you know, it's funny, I'm not a big metal person. If you had asked me to pick an album, I would have picked Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. Oh, that's not really metal. Yeah. And it's also very familiar for me. Yeah. Um, so that sort of would take away the fun <laughs> of. Yes, exactly. That's true. It would also take a lot more time than we have. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that, that that is a deep album. Yes. Yeah. Well, th- there is the rumor of the the Wizard of Oz, obviously played backwards. The album tells the story or juxtaposes against it. But I I can tell this to everyone at home. You put any album on and any movie on, and you're gonna find crossovers and parallels. And the music's gonna say "Rise Up" as someone stands up, and you're gonna sit there going, "Whoa, man, that's totally written for it." It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. You're just tripping at the end of the day. <laughs> basically yeah anyways uh, Alison chose Van Halen's uh, oh no I've ruined the joke for myself bugger oh no women and children first so before we get into discussion of it I as I say I've never really known them so I've written a review it's kind of long today so when I first saw the cover it looked a bit like Reader's Digestive and since I wouldn't be able to tell you the name of any Van Halen songs I didn't quite know what to expect. As we've heard on this show before, familiarity plus legacy doth not a good album make. So would this be a true classic or more like Diarrhea's Digest? (laughs) Upon pressing play on the spo that shall not be tiffied, I found a lot of owls among the lyrics. Ow! But as the long-legged verses began, I noticed, ow, that they were rather verbose. Where less is usually more, Van Ow Helen seems less prepared to edit than others. As track two, Everybody Wants Some, double exclamation marks started, my eye immediately twitched. There should be three exclamation marks. But as this is track two, only two exclamation marks is strangely satisfying, and the twitching immediately ceases, until I realise this this isn't the Richard Linklater film of the same name and throw in two more twitches just to satisfy. Anyways, as the owl lyrics kicked in with the oohs and the ees, I couldn't help but wonder if we were about to visit the witch doctor. The oohs, ees, ooh, ah, ahs in such abundance feels <laughs> much like the overly wordy verses to be rather wasteful. And it's like I always say, more than a mouthful is a waste. But jokes aside, Evan... To the side, please. <laughs> Anyways, as the owls continued to pop up, I had to wonder why they aren't called Van Howlin. Some of these banshee screams could sink the Titanic. Ah, oh, now I get the title Women and Children First. <laughs> Track three resonated with me, not only due to the title, Fools. No, really, due to the title. <laughs> but I digress just like this track did for 10 minutes before finally kicking in with a yeah color me surprised only to find the lyrics could yet again be summed up by forbidden broadway stupid careless fictional nonsensical verbnosis they probably shouldn't have ignored their teacher or this track would also not need to rely on owls oohs wheeze and ahs 
Romeo Delight made me sad. The last time some dude climbed a balcony for me, he was running away from my own stupid, callous, fictional, nonsensical hypnosis. <laughs> but so far, none of these songs have truly stood out. And upon each listen, apart from the instrumental Torah Torah, I really can't tell any of these songs apart. Is this just a remix album? <laughs> oh, wait, Lost of Control feels a bit harder, faster. Well, at least that's what she said. But this purposefully directionless track feels more up my alley. Again, that's what she said. And the two wordy lyrics actually work. Take a Whiskey Home starts off with a nice change of acoustic pace. But after the exciting loss of control, I worry Van has whiskey dick. But then the bluesy meat of the song kicks in, even if it is still a little flaccid. Could this be magic? No, still whiskey dick. Again, I'm left bereft of how to judge this one. I know firsthand that society hates a male that talks too much, looks in the mirror, and despite some bright whimsical moments, I'm left going, ooh, ah, ee, ow, three and a half stars. So this was weird. <laughs> Just to, before we get into discussion, I asked Andy Dowling, who we had on months and months ago, am I alone in this, that this album is so goddamn wordy and every song sounds the same? And he says, no, you're alone in this. So I said, yes, I am a dick. Because apparently this is a highly regarded album and I'm sorry I didn't see it. I heard a lot of witch doctor noises, really. <laughs> all through it, like all the songs. Ooh, I, e, ow. Well, who's the lead singer? David Lee Roth. Oh, David Lee Roth. That's right. David Lee Roth, yeah. That, yeah, that's what Andy said was that David Lee Roth can write whatever he damn wants or something like that. And I'm like, yes, I am a dick obviously here yeah. i mean that's that's his thing he's he squeals and yells and but it's more the live show he's he's just a big bundle of energy and is just bouncing around everywhere yeah he's kind of charming i think david lee roth he was charming i mean they're not singing they're and then and um, Eddie Van Halen has passed, so he's not around anymore. But they're not doing. I don't think David Lee Roth is doing anything anymore, is he? No, they yeah, they've had a lot of lineup changes over the years. But um, David Lee Roth did rejoin them in about uh, God, I think it was about two thousand six, mm. and they had like the original lineup uh, was back again, and they were they did put out an album with the original lineup. They they had done some tours, and they were looking at touring, and then of course you know Eddie's died, and they've called it quits. And they're like, you can't have Van Halen without. Eddie Van Halen. No, yeah, yeah. that's that's it. We're we're done. And and he was really he was phenomenal guitar player. I mean, one of the greatest guitarists. Of the one world. of the best. Yeah. Yeah, one of the best. One of, at least one of the reviews for this album's compared the work to Hendrix. But I don't know. I just hear so much more flair and funk in Hendrix. I didn't hear it in not this album in particular. I heard kind of one tune and then a short instrumental, which sounded different. But then loss of control was harder and faster, as I say, but it just petered out with acoustics. So I'm sorry. This wasn't your favourite album. No, no. And it's a shame because there is roots. Well, I could hear punk in there and I could hear rock and roll in there two things I love and I just don't think in this particular album the owls and the oohs and the ears seem too simple juxtaposed against the very wordy lyrics that were a lot of the times would just be two lines and then the chorus especially everybody wants some which I'm surprised I haven't heard that before since I did know that the movie was named after a rock song so I don't know how these 
guys got past me. I mean, if, if I had to, if I had to choose a Van Halen album, I probably would have gone for um, 1984. I knew you were going to say something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, which has you know Jump and Panama and Hot for Teacher as well. They were huge. Hot for Teacher, yeah, that's pretty huge. Hot for oh, I know that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I know that from Glee. <laughs> oh God! Oh, okay. <laughs> Hide my face. <laughs> Oh no, how embarrassing. Uh, D- David Lee Roth is, is widely regarded as one of the greatest front men as well. Yeah, charming. He's just he's just a phenomenal on stage. Yeah. Um, he's just an amazing performer, character. You know, he's like a cartoon character. He's just flamboyant and yeah, huge. And like what's his name from Led Zeppelin? Um no, not Led Zeppelin. Um, what's his name? Steven Tyler. Steven Tyler. Yeah, they're just they're just larger than life. Aerosmith. Aerosmith. Yeah. Thank you, Aerosmith. Yeah, I have an album, and I have an Aerosmith song on my album. So uh, yeah, I, I did actually listen mm. to your album. Yep, yep. <laughs> but yeah, Van Halen. They've been around for I think in total was about forty two years. Twelve albums. Yeah. And, and certainly in the early eighties, they were you know the biggest band in the world quite easily. They were they were earning the most. You know they. Uh, their main sort of stories was that um, was that Steve Wozniak was organising the US Festival and got Van Halen to, to headline that. Steve Wozniak from Apple? Yes. Okay, yeah. I know that because of Pixar and Kathy Griffin. <laughs> he reportedly paid them $1.5 million to to play that show, which in 1980, whatever it was, was, it was a lot was of a, money. Yeah. It was a lot of money. Yeah. That was, you know, it's the most, most any band had ever been paid for, you know, hour and a half gig. But yeah, the, the, the Van Halen brothers have been playing together since like 64 in their sort of high school bands. Um, they officially formed though in, in 78, just a cover band doing, you know, house parties and wherever they could play basically. And again, there was a, there's a story of, you know, uh, in Pasadena, California, you'd, you'd look around, you know, where are Van Halen playing? There's, there's always a house party somewhere. Apparently they don't do it so much anymore, but you know, they, if Van Halen's at a house party, if some idiot was stupid enough to open up their house, you know, 2000 kids would show up and, and there'd just be cars for blocks. And, you know, there's a, again, a, a story of the, once, once they start playing, they're on a timer because you know the cops are coming. You know, the, the noise complaints are going to start. <laughs> right, yeah, um, yeah. So they'd, let, they'd make sure they, they got the band on, you know, as late as possible because then the timer's on. And there's a story of, like, the, the cops showing up and they're going, you guys were so loud, we didn't know what block you were on. We started four blocks away, you know, looking for this party. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love yeah. it. Yeah, they've, God, they've, they've just done everything. They've been everywhere, you know, been around the world god knows how many times just oh it doesn't get much bigger than van halen and, and you don't get yeah i don't know where you've been i mean they like I said that <laughs> working I, i'm a big fan of the david roth era working since i was nine evan in theater and and then writing a screenplay at 10 11 12 13 years old i spent doing that and by 15 i filmed it that's what i was doing <laughs> so sorry if you, it'll make you feel better i didn't really listen to van halen that much either that does that. my tastes were different uh, my musical sort of awakening was leon russell and joe cocker so okay, yeah i'm in a different sort of uh place but yeah, yeah. i can appreciate Van Halen, I have seen them, yeah, and I have seen David Lee Roth and Eddie Van Halen, oh. so I can appreciate. Nice, yeah. Well, they're not going to see them again, unfortunately. So. No, not anymore. Everybody is gone. Mm-hmm. Although I have to say, I mean, this is off subject, but 
I thought the Super Bowl halftime show was pretty great. That was. Although, did they? why did they hire the company set designer? That's what I'd like to know. I know. Isn't that weird? It was a strange set. And also the people that were sitting with their, you know, only saw their backs. Yeah. Which was sitting on the other side of the stadium. But I thought the show was really great. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's right. Yeah, they did. I only just clicked. I did watch the show and I only just clicked. Yeah, they played to yeah. one side. Yeah. Two problems with it, though, before we get back into Van Halen. It was just a performer comes out, sings a song. There was no chance for any of those performers to showcase their body of work, which is what the Super Bowl halftime show is meant to be. And none of those songs flowed into one another. I don't want to hear the bloody audience screaming in the in the middle of a song while you get prepared for the next one. Look at the Madonna set that she did. That was 12 minutes of pure adrenaline that did not stop. And she did not stop through that. That's what I want to see. I want to see a medley. I want to see a medley. Mm. I don't want to see song, 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 song. So I loved it. But those were my two problems with it anyway. Those were your problems. Just just from a creative point of view. Yeah. I actually felt sorry for the dancers on the floor. Like they yeah. mm-hmm. they had that big printout of, you know, a satellite image of the city. And occasionally you'd see a, a close-up shot and that's just like a printed sheet and it's getting all wrinkled and it's covered in LEDs and they're having to do these dance routines on a floor that's not stable. Yeah. I was waiting for someone to trip. I've seen a few videos like, Uh, TikTok videos where people were on the ground and couldn't hear anything because the speakers were faced into a different direction and they could, there were videos of the, some of the dancers on the floor who you just couldn't hear anything at all. So it must've been challenging for them, but I still found it wildly exciting because I yeah. love all those performers. So yep. sorry, I got you off the Van Halen thing. <laughs> no, that's why any excuse not to talk about metal yep. on this show is perfectly fine <laughs> by me. Anyway, so when you continue. Well, I was going to say, finally, we've come full circle with your, with your fantasy writers because, you know, the brown M&Ms yes. was Van Halen. And for a reason, it was so that the venue was doing their job properly, full stop. Like, Yeah, making they're doing their due diligence and, and yeah. paying attention to what they needed. And it was more about, you know, the, the structural Safety. integrity of the stage. Yes, the, that's what the, I said. You know, has yeah. the lighting been done properly? And they would specifically, you know, they'd ask for a bowl of M&Ms in one section and then way later, make sure it was only brown ones or remove the brown ones was in a different section, making sure that all the people were doing all the different departments were communicating with each other because they'd say they'd ask for a bowl of M&Ms in one paragraph and then remove the brown ones would be somewhere else later in the rider. So they're making sure that all oh, the wow. different departments were actually communicating with each other. And if they went in and saw that there were brown M&Ms, they would then go and check everything themselves. And it was in their contract that, you know, if there were things that not up to scratch, you know, there'd be compensation or, you know, they'd get it done. Wow. Um, so yeah, it was actually a really sensible thing they did. And yeah, that's why I defend it. And generally if they weren't paying attention, they would then take that as a license to, you know, trash the green room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because that's very metal. That's metal. Yeah. Right. Oh, they caused a lot of damage over there the years to high hotel rooms. You know, the the classic all the classic stories you've heard about things getting thrown out of windows and furniture being glued to the ceiling. That was that was Van Halen. That was then all the time. And all the backstage shenanigans and the and the, the women. David Lee Roth was was notorious for um he figured out that the security guys would have uh, zones for the, the sta- for the crowd and they go, you know, section seven, row five is a troublemaker. 
and they'd know where to go. David Leroth figured this out and he's going, oh, he would then go to a roadie and go, section five, blonde hair, striped top, get her a backstage pass. So he'd use it in order to pick out girls from the crowd to make sure they come backstage. Right. Wow, that's, right. Yeah. That's totally yeah. appropriate in these post me two times, Evan. <laughs> yeah. Goodness gracious me. It was early eighties. That's, that's what you, that's what they did. That's all was happening. Yeah. And that's still happening. They would literally have the roadies sign the backstage passes. So he knew which roadie gave that pass to that girl at the end of the night. He and could check the signature them. and that roadie yeah. would get a bit of a bonus. And so would he, <laughs> apparently. Um, now, I wonder, because the movie Almost Famous is autobiographical with Cameron Crowe's childhood uh, writing for or teen years writing for Rolling Stone. I, is it Van Halen that he was following? Because I know there was a... It's based off a true story. Like I don't know the answer to that. I, might have, I nope. should have looked it up. Yeah. But then again, it was all pretty much across the board. But I think that happens with every, I think that's happened with every rock star, every, you know, yeah. every single one. Almost famous. Is that with the, the Rolling Stone uh, interviewer travels with the band? Yes. While sort of in the pretense of writing an article on them. Yeah, a young boy. Is, is on the, yes, oh, yes, I have seen it. Based on Van Halen? Yeah, well, it's based on sort of every, yeah, every band like that. Yeah, I know, but it, there was a particular band that he did follow. I just can't remember what it was. Oh, don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, there's supposed to be a, a musical version <laughs> of that coming out at some yeah. point, which I think that might actually work if it's got good music. Hmm. Hope it does. But yeah, no, look, I, I'm sorry. I was never really on the, I would say the Van Halen train, but I guess the Van Halen convoy. No, I, I not like the Who. And now like the Who, the influence of that didn't even come from my parents like Buddy Holly did. It was my own exploring music. So like, and all the other bands that I, I found along the way and then getting into the punk scene as well, learned a lot there, but uh, my brother and sister listened to heavy metal like Metallica and Guns N' Roses, Skid Row, Motley Crue, Pantera and Sepultura, Megadeth. I can, I can pick those bands out because that's what we listen to. Apart from Hot from hot, hot for Teacher, which as I say, I I know from Glee. So I don't know how you say, <laughs> like, where have I been? And I, I made a joke. Well, it wasn't a joke, but it's the truth that I've been working. But it's not as if I haven't been paying attention to music my whole life from a very, very young age. So I guess it just wasn't. That's all right. I mean, that's what, that's the beauty of art and music and, is, and yeah. dance and everything is subjective. It doesn't necessarily mean that everything is for you. So it's whatever speaks to you, you know? I just, I, I just find it weird. Like how did it get past me? Cause so much does like, I listen to everything from the Andrews sisters through to like Kim Petras. Yeah, I'm, I'm flabbergasted by this. And that's why I, I, I was expecting so much going into the album. You hear their name and it was like Ozzy Osbourne and Black Sabbath. I hadn't heard any of their songs either, but I know their name and I know their legacy and, and right. the impact that they've had on the industry. So, And even when I read the name David Lee Roth, I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, that's who he is. Because if you would ask me who, who he was, what band he's from, I probably would have said like, Foo Fighters or someone, which I know is Dave Grohl. <laughs> Don't everyone come at me at home. I just all love Foo Fighters. The whole world does. I just don't uh, listen God. to them. I don't yeah. get it. Oh. I was I was actually surprised uh, listening listening back to this album. How many songs were like from my childhood being blared down the hallway from Gareth's room? 
basically. Yeah. Like, could this be magic? Or I distinctly remember going, what the hell are you listening to? You know, because it's like nearly like a sea shanty. Who's Gareth? Is that your brother? Uh, my my older brother who, you know, okay. who basically forced, you know, uh, metal on everybody else in the family. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I distinctly remember hearing that song coming out of his bedroom and going, what the hell are you listening to? Oh, it's Van Halen, of course. But, yeah, there was a lot of those moments of just going, oh, I know this song, you know, from when I was freaking five years old. It was coming down the hallway. Yeah, siblings have a lot to do with musical taste in, in many ways because whatever your siblings listen to, you listen to, and, you know, that's how you develop your ear for stuff, you know? Mm. All, all in all, all, all I have to really say about Van Halen is they are quintessentially California. Not that I've ever been to California, but... No, it does not surprise me that you've never been to California, Evan, because a few <laughs> weeks ago on this show, you said either they're from California or Los Angeles. <laughs> and me being a shithead, totally left it in the episode because I thought it was so funny. Uh, yeah, I realised <laughs> later what I'd said, yes. Well... I'll tell you, having been to both, um, Los Angeles is its own place. And then the rest of California is all, you know, it's, is something else. So so you weren't far <laughs> off there. Uh, anyways, um, I think now we're ditching the van, hailing a taxi to an ad break. Oh, that's a why why does that get a groan? I literally <laughs> had the name of the band perfectly in a sentence. Evan, you do a better job. <laughs> Anyways, we'll be back after these messages or this message. Coming this summer, winter, spring or fall, the first ever musical theatre sitcom where you go behind the scenes of the latest West End show, The Fosse Forest Ballet. Where's the important stuff? Aha! A thousand pound a week ensemble rate. Ah, that's what Mamma Mia likes. Starring Philip Joel and a West End cast featuring Carrie Alice, Darren Day, Louise Demon, and Oliver Saville, and more. It all started in 1987 when I was a jobbing actress working in a diner. Yeah, it's just I, I had a really bad experience when I was touring Australia with a wombat. How long have I been mentoring you? Three months. Two years. So her name is Henrietta. The horse. Yes. I've managed to secure you an audition for the biggest, most innovative, and the latest show to be going into the West End. Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. Think more along the lines of Pant. Frozen. Watch this episode for the price of a coffee. Simply go to www.thefussyforestbelly.com. Any and all profits go back to theater charities, acting for others, and the theater's trust. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll see a grown man in sparkly tights. Tight nights. Nice tights. <laughs> Anyways, we're back with Thrush and Treasure. I'm Aaron, that's Evan, and we are joined by the remarkable Mary Tester. And I am so excited oh. that you are finally on my show after having Alison on. Why, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Go to, I'm so thrilled when you when you said yes. Now, um, you just say you're happy to be here, which brings up the question, has there been a time on stage where you've had to fake it till you make it, till you got off yes. stage? You have? Yeah, sure. 
there are sometimes shows you have to do to pay your bills and they're not necessarily what speaks to you artistically, but you know, you must, you have to pay bills. So you sometimes have to take jobs that are not ideally what you would want to do. So yes, I would say yes. Yep. That's it. But anyways, we'll we'll move on because one of your earliest musicals, as you've said before, that uh, you didn't intend to get into musical theatre. You just happened to fall into it. You happened to fall into a pair of trousers. That's right. <laughs> which Evan has reviewed. Now, we did this. It was our Christmas Day episode of 2020 with Alison Frazier. So we had the original gangster Trina on the show. And now we have Miss Goldberg to hear what Evan thought to review it in front of one of the original <laughs> cast members who left her stamp so remarkably on this show. Mm. Evan. Yeah, well, what is this, 1979? This was, yep. Yep. you know, we, we are going back a fair way. Um, was it written by William Finn? Mm-hmm. That's correct. My main title that I've written is just, it's just absolutely bonkers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's also correct, yeah. <laughs> it's just so out there. I don't think anything else sounds like in trousers or, or, or the, the whole three because I have, I have listened to all three, yep. but mainly in trousers I, I had on repeat. A, a fair bit and then i got yeah i got caught into the trap of of the 1985 rewrite and and everything's all out of order and and then i think in 91 they did it again um so it got a little confusing i'm trying to well it was mainly listening to them to try and sort of really get the scope of what the story was well in the order so yeah i watched the 1985 production there was a, a like a university production or something and i was mainly watching it for context is there no dialogue in the show other than the songs because i couldn't see any just the songs there was, I don't know what the 85, I didn't watch or see any of the subsequent productions, but In Trousers came about because Bill had written all of these songs and we had written all of the harmonies and we just presented this list of songs, which turned into In Trousers. It was basically not that much different. So it was the story of Marvin who was gay and and all of the stuff around him. So it was bonkers. And Bill, it was the first time he was a new voice. It was a new, no one had ever heard anything like this or seen anything like this. And um, it was very exciting. But a lot of people tried to make sense of what it was. And I think that the, the glory of it was that it didn't always make sense, but it always made you feel something, which I think is really interesting. So I don't know what they did in the subsequent productions. I didn't know they moved the order around and stuff. Yeah, they, they took like four songs out and added five new ones and moved things around. And uh, Yeah, not a good idea. And, and it just got really confusing. But no, the 79 one definitely feels more coherent, even though the 85 was an attempt to make it more coherent. Right. I think the 79 one certainly it was fine. Just, yeah. you know, leave it as is. Can I just butt in, Evan, and say that, Mary, you just did the Oklahoma revival. I did. Which managed to completely update that and turn it into something sexy, apparently, mm-hmm. without writing a new song for it. Nothing was changed. Nothing was changed. <laughs> the only thing that was different, uh, the script was exactly the same. There were some things cut. We didn't have a chorus. It was just 12 principles. Oh, so it was, that was out of necessity for the, the cast, the, the setting. Okay, it wasn't, wasn't to update the show. No, there was only one dancer who danced the dream ballet. 
but there was the numbers were not done in a way with like big production numbers. They were done simply with a bluegrass band and everything was done very simply, very sparely. And it made that show resonate in a great new way without changing anything. Yeah. And that's why I bring this up because you don't need to change things in order to modernize them as in change the lyrics or add in a new song or right. cut a whole bunch of songs unnecessarily. Obviously that was for a reason. There was no ensemble. So it just shows you it's very similar. I've said this before, but it's like Shakespeare. The script to Oklahoma is a really good script. Yeah. It's a really good examination of people at that time and racism and community and all of that stuff. So you can put it in a lot of different settings like Shakespeare yeah. and it will resonate differently for different audiences. We had a fair amount of people who absolutely hated the fact that we did of the way it was done because they wanted to see their Oklahoma the way they've always seen their Oklahoma. And I would always say you can go anywhere in the country and see Oklahoma and any community theater, any regional theater, you will never not see Oklahoma. But, you know, I was very proud to be part of uh, Oklahoma that resonated in a different way. Yeah, that's it. So anyway, sorry, Evan. They didn't need to do that in 85 is why I bring that up. Right. I'm sorry they did that. <laughs> yeah, it was fine. And as usual, you know, they take out songs that you, yeah. you you like, you know, like Your Lips and Me got taken out. What? No. Yeah. Yeah, it did. There was, there was a whole list. It was a good four or five that got taken out. And, some new, and then they like reprised the Giddy Seizures and yeah. Yeah, didn't have to do that. Well, it's interesting. The score of In Trousers, the published score has not us as the original cast. Oh. Even though we were the original cast. They have the uh, Jay Sanders played Marvin and and they were listed as the original cast, which they were not. But, uh, you know, it was a different time then. So, yeah. Yeah. Shit miscrediting Broadway performances has been happening for decades, Evan. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Bloody hell. Yeah. That was a, one of the annoying things doing my research in, into you, Mary, is that you, you credited in all the stuff that I'm not allowed to listen to yet because I haven't done it. You know, we do a different musical every week and I can't just suddenly go and listen to Wicked because we haven't done it yet, you know? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, I'm not on any of the recordings of Wicked. So I was like, Miss yeah. Madame Morrible number 872. So, you <laughs> know, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and even that's generous, I think. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yes. <laughs> yeah, I've had, I've had Wizard Going Down stuck in my head all week. Marvel's Gizzy Sieges stuck in my head. There's so many cool songs in this. What I could glean out of that, there's, as far as I know, no dialogue in between so the songs are the show which is i think the first time i've come across a musical that's done that yeah Um, there's usually a little bit in between to kind of give you a bit but right this is purely song to song to song now i am wearing a hat Mm -hmm. is that you know the juxtaposition of you know being in trousers you know men are in trousers women wear hats like i thought it was a wedding is that that's what i got from it i think that's part of it yes i also think it was a formality you know like a being a formal thing i mean i was the teacher who he raped i mean so i think there's a there was a formality and i i can tell you even though i was very much a big part of the show for quite a while i couldn't tell you what everything means i just like went along with you know what i mean i just kind of went along with it we just performed his stuff you know and we had worked on it for quite a while and sort of molded it in many ways. And 
But I think yeah. that I'm wearing a hat is, you know, I am an untouchable. I am untouchable. I am in a different category from you. I am something else that you is formal and and you cannot taint yeah. in many mm. ways. Um, I have to admit the um, YouTube comments on that song, because obviously the album's on YouTube, like everything is illegally. <laughs> it's a bunch of people asking, I, what is she wearing again? Just over and over again. And like it starts off like, oh, yeah, that's funny. But the more you read it, it actually gets really, really funny. It's that Sideshow Bob stepping on the rakes. And the longer he steps on the rakes, the funnier it becomes. It's just people questioning <laughs> what, what you're wearing in this song. Because I keep saying I'm wearing a hat. Yeah, because you keep saying it. But I actually love that song. I think it's such a... A Sunday morning. It's beautiful. It is. It's it's really it's a gorgeous. I think the score is lush. There's um, moments of it feels like the opening titles of a um, a telenovela. That's what mm. it sounds like. Very lush. What I love about in trousers is that it's still affecting people, yep. and that a whole host of very young ladies and gentlemen are really just affected by it, really moved by it, and I I love that. I mean, still. Yeah. To this day, it has an enormous fan base. And I think that's spectacular, you know. Because it's a coming-of-age story that isn't posed as a coming-age story. Right. It's poetic. Yeah. And it's beautiful. Yeah. So, therefore, it is resonating with people. It is something that you can put on. It's intelligent as well. Those lyrics mm. are so goddamn intelligent. That's why I'm waiting for Evan to bring mm. up the lyrics because they are, and as I say, they're poetry. Oh, yeah. It really are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I was going to say it, it's a lot like a dark side of the moon or a Led Zeppelin mm. four where, where the more you listen to it, the more you hear in it yeah. and the more you take out of it and the more you can read into it. That's right. It's one of those things because it is so well written and, and so well put together and, and absolutely bonkers as well. And there's a lot of fun, you know, and then there's also things like a breakfast over sugar, which is just a, that, that's a brilliant song. Yes. Shattering. Yeah. Yeah. You just sit there going, Oh, Oh, in that song, you can feel the tension of a marriage that's failing. And it's so amazing and incredible. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But it's also so mundane. And that's what I love about that, that the lyric of I said this last time that pass the sugar, please. I dreamt last night we flew to China. It's so goddamn mundane. And that's why I think it's probably the greatest line in musical theater, because it's so simple, but it says so much mm -hmm. that it's and you're right that it's she's sort of just pass the sugar, please, like just thinking on her own talking to no one because he's clearly reading the paper or something yeah. you know you, you get that in that music yeah. so yeah it's, well it's it's a a couple sort of going through the motions of the morning while dealing with a, a, a crisis exactly a marriage that's failing because he is detaching and realizing that he is in love with a man and she is sort of left like trying to figure out what is next you know what is the next step even though that's not said but that's kind of what it is yeah it's beautiful we did that album in one day in a small studio um the four of us in in a very tiny studio bruce yeko produced it mm -hmm. and we did it in one day and nice. <laughs> in, a, in a very small room so yeah, long time ago. And we were thrilled because they were making cast albums of big things, you know, of Broadway shows, but they weren't making cast albums of small off-Broadway shows. And so it was wonderful that Bruce produced it and it was preserved, you know, and has gone on to create like a whole new range of fans every day. So 
Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. And no, I, I have to bring up the rape of Miss Goldberg. Now, the first couple of times I heard it, I'm sitting there going, hang on, you know, is this actually happening? Is Miss Goldberg actually egging him on? I'm trying to figure out the dynamic of it. Now, in the 85 production, they say it's a fantasy of Marvin's. In the original, I have no idea. I thought it was metaphorical, but I could be wrong. So, <laughs> Well, you know, I, I will tell you this that my character wore sunglasses through the entire show, except after the rape of Miss Goldberg, where the glasses were removed. And I was all mad at Bill because he was like, you're going to wear sunglasses through the whole show. And I'm like, what? I mean, my eyes are one of my best features. What? You're going to cover my eyes up? I was really pissed off at him for a while. And then that moment where the glasses are removed and it was only a moment was really like a great moment for me as an actor to then be uncovered Mm. for, you know, for a moment and let that resolution hit, you know, so it was really great, but it didn't make me happy at first when he told me, I was like, are you kidding? (laughs) (laughs) I have a feeling that's just sunk in for Evan because the look on his face, when you mentioned the sunglasses and taking them off, his face lit up. Yeah, no, I don't think they did that in the 85 rewrite. They probably didn't. No. Who was in the 85 one? Well, this was just a a Utah University College production that I saw. I don't know about the professional one. Oh. But I don't remember Miss Goldberg taking her glasses off, and that would be really poignant if she did. Yeah. So, yes, that makes way more sense. The the change of the character, you know, the life-changing moment of of taking her... Her blanket away from her. Yeah. Yeah, Her shield. It was just one moment. Yeah, I I wish I had been around in 79. (laughs) You were, but you were four. (laughs) Well, I want, you know, wish I had been able to see it. Yeah. Be able to see it. Dude, you were in New Zealand at the time. Yes, exactly. Is that where you guys are? You're in Australia or New Zealand? I'm in Melbourne. He's in Perth, but he's from New Zealand. So. Okay. Got you. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, we're on opposite ends of the country. Um, The only other thing I was doing research on, on William Finn, and there was a comment somewhere about how he permanently lost his singing voice. And I don't know if this is. I don't know who to, oh, I couldn't find oh, any more information. The shower. About it. Yeah, the shower. The shower. And I'm going, hang on, how do you, in a shower scene, it said. So what, did you actually have a shower on stage? And I'm, I'm just. They do that. We did, but it was, yeah, but it was, um, it was uh, scrubby, dubby, dubby. Look at Marvin, take a shower. Yeah. He was standing in the shower. But Bill, he, he didn't lose his voice then. Wikipedia is wrong again, Evan. That's why I didn't trust it. And I yeah. read the interview that that cited. I actually did search up the citing of it and, and it did still didn't make sense. I don't think that's true. I mean, yeah. Bill, Bill used to sing when he was younger, like beautifully and, and yeah. he sang his own stuff, but he would, you know, he'd scream a lot too. He, <laughs> he was never a trained singer. Yeah. Then I was thinking, what was he playing Marvin himself originally? But, he but- did play Marvin originally. Yeah. All right, because again, not credited. In the workshop that we did at Playwrights Horizons and Upstairs Theatre, Bill was Marvin. And then when they gave us a main stage production, that's when Chip came in and Bill directed it. Right, so that clears up. Yeah, as usual, Wiki's full of crap. I I knew that there was something off there. I told you, don't use Wikipedia. I wasn't. I didn't trust it. It didn't sound right. That's a weird thing. I'd never heard that before. Um, maybe that's a story he told. I don't know. I, I don't know where that came from. Yeah. Again, you know, you you cite you read the citing in it, and it's not even 
it's it's with an interview of William Finn, but it's not something he said. It was something an interviewer said. So hmm, how interesting. I don't even know. But yeah. so no. they did the shower scene on stage with uh, how we did the shower scene. Yeah. He would stand, Chip would stand in a tub and we had like watering cans kind of, and we would get him wet and the water was cold. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They do singing in the rain on stage, Evan, where it rains on stage. Wow. In the middle of the show, not at the end of the show. This is in the middle of the show. So. In the middle. So they have to get that pool off the stage. Deal with all the water. It's a, the pumps and stuff like that. Like Singing in the rain was a bigger budget than oh, in trousers. Oh, I yes. Can pretty much guarantee <laughs> that. So um, yeah. the point is that water effects on stage isn't. Water. Yeah. They've done that a lot. They've done that. Oh. Yeah. God, totally. that'd be a nightmare mm-hmm. <laughs> from a from a technical side of it. You know, having sand would be worse. Yeah. Yeah. Sand is yeah. worse. You know, uh, when they did the remount of once on this island, they had sand at Circle in the Square and pretty much every single cast member got bronchial diseases and bronchial infections because they were inhaling sand every night, oh, um, even though they'd probably wet it down or do stuff to tamp it down. Everybody got sick because they were in sand all night. So wow, that's never a good idea. No, no, I, I don't like sand full stop. I live near seven beaches, Mary, and I'm not going near any of them. Get that stuff away from me. <laughs> Why? Oh, that's lovely. I love the water, but it's the, the sand. It's it, it just it gets between your toes and up your bum and everywhere. You don't want friggin' sand to be. It's like glitter. That's true. Sand and glitter are just. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, I don't don't need them. Yeah. yeah. And the only other real the real question was was why was Marvin taking a shower? Um, like, because humans do in, that. in the context of the story, <laughs> okay. it's, it's you know, <laughs> it just kind of came out of nowhere. I'm dubby, like, dubby, oh. dubby. can Marvin take a shower? Look at Marvin in the tubby, scrubby dubby dubby. He is. Oh, the soapy yeah. uses him. I, I'm going. Yeah, it's a cool song, but like, what Isn't does it mean? Just become a man. Eyes and nose. I'm not quite sure. Scrubby dubby. Oh no. Dubby dubby, all the rest. I'm not sure what it. I, honestly, I don't. I'm not sure what it meant. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. What did Allison say? Did you ask her? If I can remember correctly, um, it was that this is sort of right before he becomes a man, so he's sort of scrubbing off all sort of that youth to become to yeah, become a man. It could to... be washing away his past, that kind of a thing. Yeah, washing yeah. away um, stuff that he had pretended that he was. Yeah. into becoming who he really was to to then that be makes sense. quote unquote in trousers to be the man that yes, he's supposed to be exactly. I, I think that's exactly. what it was i try not to mm. listen to old episodes because it mortifies me <laughs> the show is so yeah. much better these days yeah the only other thing that sort of stuck in my head was um or oh, wizard going down just kind of yeah again comes out of nowhere and i'm like who the hell's wizard brown you haven't introduced this character and and then you know doing the research there's there's not actually a character on stage of wizard not an in trousers no no later on i assume you have to yeah you see him in march of the falsettos yeah only because i listened to the other two uh recently that that i know that wizard is a, is a pivotal character and also I, I have a good story because when i was after in trousers March of the Falsettos, we were, we were workshopping. And um, that's when I got my first Broadway show. And I had to decide between March of the Falsettos, which we were getting paid $75 a week to workshop and Barnum, which I was going to get paid $400 a week to, to do. And this was in 1980. 
And it was a very difficult decision for me, but I realized that I had gone into this business. I needed to be able to pay bills and I needed to take the Broadway show. And so I left March of the Falsettos and Bill was very angry with me and didn't speak to me for a year. But so my character, which they then tried to put other people in, but Miss Goldberg had no place ultimately in mm. March of the Falsettos. And so I think it all worked the way it was supposed to work. Um, and then she was gone. And so it, it was interesting how life happens and how stuff happens, but that's how that happened. I wonder if I had not gone, gotten Barnum, if I would have still been in March of the Falsettos and everything would have been different, you know? Yeah. But that's what happened. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Again, I was saying with the um, with all the different rewrites and different organizations, um, the Wizard, yeah, Wizard Brown just kind of comes out of nowhere. I'm like, who's who's Wizard Brown? And I got, from the '79 production, I, I got the impression that it was a high school friend. You know, this is something that happened in school. Yeah, I got that impression too, just from the past 20 yep. years listening to this. That makes sense. Yeah, that's, you know, he added this experience at school and then hooks up with him later. But then the 85 one, they moved Wizard Brown to near the end, you know, after I feel him slipping away. So it's, you know, he's already an adult at that point. And then in 93, they put it right before A Breakfast Over Sugar. So again, you know, already married and Wiz has entered the scene. But yeah, it again, it makes more sense if it was a high school friend, you know, if it was all, this all happened in high school. So yeah, I don't know. Well, in Trousers is high school, you know, related. Mm. So that makes perfect sense. Mm. Although that's not the way it tracks, but that makes perfect sense. Yeah, because yeah. there was a good portion of my life that I thought that Miss Goldberg was blind and that's why she had sunglasses. <laughs> A fair assumption. Like, I don't, like, we've said it millions of times on this show before, I don't pay attention to lyrics unless I'm actually forced to Van Halen, <laughs> you know, but when I listen to something over and over and over and over again, obviously you learn songs and stuff, but it's when I sit down and think about things, then things click. Mm -hmm. But I don't always yeah. really sit down and think about other people's work. I'm sort of usually thinking about my own work and, you know, ideas and stuff. But um, I'm curious, so what job does Marvin have? Because I know in March he brings home bacon. I don't think it's ever defined. No, it's not. No. I think that's subjective. I bet you could probably, maybe he's a lawyer. Yeah, I get the impression he's a, a, a white collar professional of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he's a finance guy. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> I don't know. I've never thought about it until this week. Yeah, so okay, Evan, a score. Yeah, all in all, in all um, yeah, this is absolutely bonkers going back to the original title. I don't think there's anything else that sounds like it other than the other two. Again, I haven't heard a new brain because I'm not allowed to yet. Oh, it's beautiful. But if you were to look Finn's work, it is so deeply personal to everyone who listens to it. It is funny it is quirky it is it's it sounds great like the, the songs are catchy they're they're beautiful the ballads i can actually listen to william finn ballads i even watched the adventures of tom thumb and thumbelina a couple of weeks ago which was a animated movie that no one saw that that finn wrote the songs for that i even sat through that just to hear more of his music because he does not get the love in the public eye in the broad sense that he deserves. I agree. I've been inspired by just the boldness 
of his work in the lyrics that there is, like I say, I, I, I didn't know until last year that Alison had actually written the line that the past the sugar please that utterly mundane line that really doesn't belong in the world of musical theater with our jazz hands and our high kicks and stuff, but it totally belongs because this is what we're doing. We are storytelling. We're telling emotions. We are, are telling you we are bringing the audience into this box, a lit up box it's the most ridiculous concept. Like we literally, you sit there and you're watching people prance around on stage in costumes, pretending to be something else. And yet his music makes you feel so incredibly much. And yes, yeah, so sorry. I, I'm such a fangirl. I really am. <laughs> I'm very happy to hear that. I'm very happy to hear that. And I, I have to say, you know, I love working with Bill and I love doing his stuff. And um, there are, a, there's a handful of people that I really love working with and he is definitely one of them. So there's no one else like him and his name's not on nope. everyone's lips enough. Obviously um, the falsettos revival in 2016 was, was popular. It was popular enough to get a pro shot for crying out loud. Uh, and then it's obviously Putnam County, which is, is probably his most mainstream success out there. And even mm -hmm. that's again a one act show very funny show very funny yeah. but only one act or something and it's just i don't think it's long enough there's not enough of his music in it there really isn't but i get a three hour epic in the marvin trilogy i get this start middle and an end that is told so poetically and so beautifully and sorry evan it's your moment not mine yeah no that that's no that that nails it really um yeah. he's so clever the music's clever it's smart the lyrics are clever and smart it tells a story and it yeah it's what a story and and a story that's i'm sure you know repeated many times over with with a lot of people who listen to it obviously you know people struggling with their identity and actually making a change and doing something about it and yeah uh, yeah it's brilliant it really is wow Oh, there's so many good songs and there's so like I said, it's just so so clever and you find yourself like again I'm I'm listening to it at work and you know dancing around to Wizard Brown and you know it's just I don't want to know what that looks like <laughs> aside from what the song's about you know it's just so bouncy and catchy ah uh, he's he is very very clever yeah I'm gonna have to give it a you know four and a half yay something like that it's it's just because it's so it's so unique. It, it was actually reminding me again of Mary and Max where it just doesn't sound like anything else. I don't, yeah. yeah. And it makes me want to listen to the rest, which I have, I have listened to. You have cheated, but that's right. Yeah, I've cheated a little bit. Uh, only <laughs> once though. I, I listened to the whole thing all the way through once, but yeah, I, I really want to listen to a new brain and yeah. the rest. And there's is. more. New brain is um, very deeply personal for Bill. It's yeah. like what, what happened to him. Yeah, but yeah, I did read the story about it, just yeah. waiting to do it. We'll get there because we did cover it in our second episode. So that was with Gareth. So we can do it again. Now, just to juxtapose while I bring up Gareth, he gave in trousers, I think it was a one out of five. Wow. Because he didn't he didn't get it at all. And I don't no, think he you've... tried to get it, <laughs> to be honest. Oh well. Um, the only song I wasn't a fan of, and it was more just the character of Marvin, was how Marvin eats his breakfast. I'm like, what a brat. Like, dude, demanding breakfast from you kids. were once an adolescent boy. There were five of you <laughs> running around that house. Do not tell me you did not act like cavemen at least once. I don't believe it for a second. <laughs> don't you come into my kitchen demanding breakfast, you little. You'll get it when you 
Well, that was Marvin. Marvin was a dick. Yeah. He was a little bit of a dick. Yeah. And it was sort of that, that set me off. I'm like, I'm not a fan of this Marvin guy, you know? <laughs> and that's another thing why he deeply resonates with people because he is so deeply flawed. And a, a lot of characters are, but they don't, the story isn't about them really being flawed. This is very much about his flaws and yeah. exposing mm-hmm. them and dealing with them to the point that he can be himself. And that's another reason why it has so deeply resonated with so many people. And still does. And why it's Marvin and three women in his life and, you know, him dealing with the three women in his life. So, yeah. And the impact that they've had, the way they've sort of molded, if you will, to that point where he has to, because I'm sure he wouldn't be able to bullshit too much around three Mm -hmm. women. They'd all see through it. Women are much smarter than men. Yes. And he's kind of saying goodbye to women in a way, you know. Yeah. Yeah, again, I, lo- I love that line. Uh, I'm not sure what song it is, but where, where she says, Marvin was never mine. That's just, ah, yeah. it gets you. It just gets you. Gets you in the feels. Mm-hmm. Not the parakeets still can't fly. Do you not feel sorry for that poor budgie? Goodness me, Evan, <laughs> have a heart. <laughs> I would like to know, can it fly by now? Because it's been a few years. Hopefully it's learned. Uh, but anyways, I think we can zip up the trousers <laughs> and throw to an ad break. We're back in a moment with Mary Tester. G'day listeners, Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to www thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. After barely three hours of light sleep, Toniston Turnbull slowly opens his eyes, his body feeling heavier than it ever has before, not from extra weight, from tiredness and stress. Polly sighs in the shadows behind him, the flame of the nearest barbed wire tiki torch tower having died down, but not out, while Toniston napped. Are you awake? Toniston whispers. How can I sleep in this place? Polly moans, turning onto her side and facing Toniston, who stays on his back, imagining obscure animal-esque shapes in the rusted tin roof above them, shadows faintly formed by the nearest dying torches. We need to work out a way to get out of here, Toniston states the obvious. He whispers, despite the fact the nearest shacks to their own are several metres away, and the occupants presumably asleep as most prisoners seem to be. How? There's no fence to squeeze through, or even climb, Polly replies, sitting up in bed and then stretching out her sore arms. The hairs stand on end from the slight chill in the air. I don't know, but I think the whole fighting thing is a distraction. You mean, to distract the other prisoners when new ones arrive? No, I I think that was just bad timing. Didn't you notice? Toniston goes on to explain his theory. That fight happened, everybody gathered around, I didn't see one person who wasn't watching, and then when I vomited, the only gate in this place closed shut. What are you trying to say? I think something happened when everyone's back was turned. 
Like what? Whispers Polly, her voice breaking up in fear. I don't know. That's what we've got to find out. Toniston's brain starts working overtime, but it's strange that nobody seems to want to leave. They seem almost happy. Definitely content. So, when's the next one of those stupid beatdowns? Toniston can't help but think Polly looks tough, almost evil in the shadows as she asks, I don't know, Toniston begins, but both teenagers are distracted by a crumbling noise in the distance. Hopping out of bed, Toniston joins Polly on her own, equally uncomfortable one. Spotting a large, white package hovering close to the cave ceiling, behind it, a shadowy figure. The package is lowered down, causing the teenagers themselves to lower as well, hoping not to be spotted by whom, or what, may be operating this obscure crane. Over a long, slow descent, the package is dropped to the ground. Polly keeps her eyes on it, but Toniston looks up immediately, spotting a large black shadow scurry away to God only knows where. Come, he whispers, as he quietly hops off her bed, slipping into his docks with bare feet. Polly follows his lead. Careful to keep watch on all directions, the teenagers swiftly sneak over to the white package, their hearts beating an almost tribal jam in perfect harmony and stopping in their tracks as the sudden realisation of what lies before them sinks in. A woman, seemingly in her early twenties, wrapped up in bandages from the neck down. No, not bandages. Is that spiderweb? Polly asks, completely mortified at the prospect. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! Alrighty, you're listening to Thrash and Treasure. I'm Aaron, that's Evan, and we are joined by Broadway legend Mary Testar, who is a friend of a friend of the show, and now you are a friend of the show. And that Now is, I'm a friend of the show, yes. That is absolutely remarkable. I am no longer one degree away from Mary Testa, and Evan, you are zero degrees away from me. <laughs> Anyways, we'll move on with, you have played so many iconic characters on stage, on Broadway specifically, like that stretch of, of shows that you have done on Broadway, and the stretch of M. Was that deliberate? No. Were you like, I'm what M roles can I pick now? Like, <laughs> leave your stamp on Broadway, Mary. Why the fuck not? Part of my language, but I have absolutely nothing to do with that. It's just kind of a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, that was just so that some moron like me could see that and then write an introduction. That's right. That's so you could do your alliteration. That's right. That's it. Obviously, with all those characters, if there was one past character that you could freaky Friday swap with for one year who would it be hmm oh my goodness uh probably Mel Pomene and Xanadu yeah oh why not she's a great goddess she's a goddess yeah so why not she's an evil goddess so that's all you know that's even more fun yeah the villains are much more fun yeah villains are always fun yeah yeah and when you moved to New York City you've spoken before that you moved into the West Village uh-huh. around my people the LGBTQ plus community yes so do you have a drag king name? Uh, no, I don't. Um, I'll have to get one. No, I, I have a great affinity for all drag queen, drag kings, but I am I am not a drag king, so I don't have a name, but um, I, I should start thinking of one. Yeah, well, I had actually written one down for you, and then I heard, oh, okay. heard an interview where you were talking about your relationship with Stephen Sondheim, ah, and yes. I'm like, oh, shit. Uh, but the one I've written down is Stephen Songrhyme. Okay. Because it's just so dorky. 
why the hell not? Why not? Yeah. Uh, but anyways, so apart from the usual sort of sexism, racism, sexual harassment, all, all, all that jazz that we, we are actively fighting against, that's, you know, all in that corner. But what is your personal industry pet peeve? The way things are cast. The way things are cast, yeah. Because I am considered a character actress. And so character actresses very rarely play the leads. And I think that's just incredible bullshit because, and always have, because everyone, everyone lives life. Everyone falls in love. Everyone loses somebody. Everyone aspires to be. And so I would like to see characters play the leads and see leading people play the the second bananas that would make me very happy and i've been screaming about that for years and i don't think it will ever change but it's to me supremely annoying yeah and it's i find the term character actor so like such an oxymoron because like you're all playing characters exactly i just think it's a redundant term that just means you're not pretty enough to be the lead which i find just really awful bullshit it is absolute bullshit mary because you stand out you sit like your your voice and your presence and and people i I can't remember who it was one interview you were talking about someone that you had the star quality that no one else in the room had oh that's nice who was that i i can't remember what interview it was i i research so many things and then i'm editing past conversations or past episodes so to be honest the fact that i'm even sitting upright is a miracle (laughs) but there was something like that can't be replicated bought or manufactured in a lab no and that's why i am so goddamn like respect the friggin artists for crying out loud and if there is as you say a quote-unquote character actor who is right for that lead role given the friggin lead role it's getting slightly better it's like there are people every now and again like this um beanie feldstein who's gonna play funny girl i i wouldn't consider beanie uh, a leading lady type i would consider her more of a character so she gets to play the leading lady which is wonderful um you know what i mean so so it does break through occasionally but for the most part it's the reason why and i've said this a million times i prefer Um, foreign films over American films because I can see people who look like me. I can see people who are not perfect and haven't had a million plastic surgery things as the lead Mm -hmm. characters in, in, you know, and follow them and feel, feel, you know, interest in them. Whereas American films, I'm looking at faces and bodies that don't, that don't reflect anything real to me. And so it doesn't um, interest me, you know, in the same way. Yes. But that's my thing. That's my thing that I've always found very annoying. I think it's good. And it's also something new I don't really hear people calling for. And that's what I like. I don't like bandwagons. I'm so over this whole speaks out about something. And so now there's a villain for everyone to fight against. Right. If you actually believed in that issue, you would be believing in it already now and speaking about it now. And right. That's why I like to ask that question for people's personal ones. This is your industry Mm -hmm. after all. Now, I noticed that you had done a short film called The Mother and won an award from the Melbourne Indie Film Festival. I won a couple of awards, Best Actor Awards. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, on the the Indie 
on the indie circuit. Yes. Yep. So have have you been here? No. <laughs> Please come bring Allison and perform for me. <laughs> I will pay whatever I have to. I will beg. I will sleep with whatever producers I have to in Melbourne. Please, let's get these brilliant legends to to Melbourne. Someday, I hope that's true. But for me, I have a dog and I don't ever want to leave my dog. So it's hard to get me to go anywhere. (laughs) Because I am going to go to London and I will be taking Mm -hmm. my dog to London. But that's only like an hour longer than California. So that one's doable. Yeah. Across the pond, really. This is across the other side of the world. Exactly. Yeah, London for us is like 23-hour flight. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Well, well, no, f- for you from Perth. Or oh, for me, yes. They go directly there. From me, we have to go to Dubai first. Oh, wow. See? Or, or to Perth, which is six-hour flight or something like that away. Yeah. Now, um, back on, on sort of fake it till you make it, mm-hmm. how important is diplomacy between friends in this industry? Like, if you see a show that Alison's in that you think, hmm, are, are you telling her or? No, probably not. No? Uh, I learned my lesson. I'm a very honest person and I never, you always know how I feel when you see my face, but I've learned the lesson that when you go and see friends shows, if you don't like them, you don't say, I, I didn't like this, this, but you don't say that because all you do is be supportive and find something positive to say, mm-hmm. because it does, it's not helpful. It's not in any way helpful. Then if somebody asks you later on, what did you really think? Then you can maybe be diplomatically honest, but I mean, we just went to see, Allison and I both went to see Flying Over Sunset at Lincoln Center. And I emailed Michael Starabin, who is uh, a dear friend, a brilliant orchestrator. And, you know, my collaborator, we have an album together and we've worked together many times. And I was very, um, you know, just said, Michael, you make everything sound so much better. It just was wonderful. And he asked me, what did you really think? (laughs) Did you really like it? And I said, I liked some of it. Yes. But I did not really like the music. And (laughs) he never answered me me back on an email. I'm sure he's fine. But I, I was totally honest with him because I know that he would expect that from me. But you have to be very careful, especially when somebody is performing. You cannot tell them the truth right after a show. You have to be politic. You can also tell when somebody doesn't like something. I mean, as a performer, I've had people, you can tell. They don't say, they go, okay. You know, you could just tell by their faces that they didn't like it. But, yeah. you know, it's it's all good. Yeah, it's usually something like, oh, weren't the lights pretty? Yeah, <laughs> or I saw you, I saw you up there, I yeah. saw you. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> so I welcome it. I, In terms of writing, I signed up to be critiqued. If one of my friends isn't going to like my novel, honestly, like that's completely fine because I know that it is subjective. It really is. And it's Mm -hmm. also, as I've said before, it is the alchemy of a situation. You know, it it just might be whatever situation that someone might have gone to see a show on a, in a bad mood. That's right. Or whatever. And they just didn't like it or the performance that night was bad or it was just the, the jokes in the script missed the beat, so therefore no one found the the whole thing funny and then it bombed or whatever. It's There's all sorts of factors. It is, I don't think That's it's right. as personal as what people take it to be because we're in this game for this reason. We're, we can't all be good 100% of the time. That's right. 
a lot of the times when I see something, I really rarely ever blame the actors. It's usually the direction or the script or something like that, because the actor is the bravest thing you can possibly imagine. You put yourself out there and, and good or bad, you are really putting yourself out there. So yeah. I respect that. And it's the director that, that makes most of these decisions and signs off on the decisions that the actor's making. Haven't I said this before, Evan, about high school productions? Don't judge the kids on stage. Judge these bloody adults that think they know what they're doing that are ripping mm. off the Broadway designs and quote-unquote yeah. choreography. I just want to state that I'm not at all suggesting, Mary, that you have ever gotten a negative critique. Oh, I've gotten horrible. Where before I stopped reading reviews, I've gotten, I've gotten some... What made me stop reading reviews was many years ago, I was doing... I had done um, a show for... Um, the Encores series at City Center. And I had done the Ziegfeld Follies of 1933. And I had all the Fanny Bryce material to do, which is not particularly funny. It's only funny if you're Fanny Bryce. And so after the whole thing was over, several months after, I was reading New York Magazine one night in bed. And the critic was... Um, Oh, just an awful man. What's his name? He's since passed away. I, I can't think of his name, but he was New York Magazine critic. Just legendary, awful man. And had given me good reviews in the past. Said something about, there were two people in the show that he mentioned. Poor such and such and such and such that had to put up with Mary Testa, who either went hideously over the top or sank miserably to the bottom. And I was laying in bed reading this and I, I was just like, oh my God, and the show had been finished for like three months. And I just, I was so fatutzed by reading that, that I threw the magazine down. And the next day I said, I'm never reading another review again. And I canceled my subscription to New York Magazine. <laughs> John Simon, John Simon, John that's Simon? his name, John Simon. I've never heard of him, so. Oh, well. There we go. And I, okay, now I, I'm so interested in your response to this question. Another ongoing one that we've asked a lot of guests. What has been your experience with standing ovations, especially in the past, say, 20 years or so? Have you noticed a, noticed a change in audiences, how they're reacting Pretty much every Broadway show, they stand, they stand yeah. at the end of every show, pretty much. So I think a standing ovation really counts when it's off Broadway. Yeah, because they don't stand as often. Then if they've stood, then you're really done something. Broadway, the norm is that they stand. Yeah, I just, I don't like it. Makes my eye twitch, Mary. <laughs> Why are you standing? <laughs> Why are you standing for freaking Mamma Mia? Goodness me, sit down. Sit down, go home. Well, I know, but that's usually any Broadway show. I saw a Broadway show today where everybody stood, but it was a really good show. Just out of curiosity, what did you say? I saw Town today for the first time. Oh, wonderful. I want to see that. Is it good? I thought the second act was really good. Yeah. It, it's a great company and, and yeah, it's very good. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I hope that actually comes to Australia. If we're going to get that, it'll be like Melbourne Theatre Company or something. Mm. I don't think we're going to get a, a proper tour of it. Yeah, I was just wondering if, if Ratatouille the musical is going ahead. I have absolutely no idea. I mean, that no. was just an a, amazing thing that came together. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, it, yeah, it's got you credited. And I'm like, did it actually happen? Because, you know, COVID. It was on TikTok. 
It was a TikTok musical. Oh, uh, it was all put together. It was really incredible. It was put together somewhere in Germany, and then it raised over two million dollars for the Actors Fund. Nice. Oh, that's all right. At least it did something good. Did you see it? I haven't because I stay away from TikTok, but Evan's more inclined to. I oh come on. I don't even have Facebook. It's like I don't like it at bloody TikTok. I just saw the name Ratted to with a musical and immediately think, hey, that that could work. That could work really well. I think I saw something where Andrew, who played the sort of young lead in the TikTok musical, mm-hmm. uh, he played the one with the rat. He wasn't the rat. He was the young chef. Linguini. Yeah, yeah. So I think I saw something that Andrew was doing a workshop or something. So maybe they will. I don't know. Yeah. First of all, I have to say that I love TikTok. I'm yeah. very entertained by TikTok. But the music was really great uh, that? that all of these young kids wrote for this musical. So you should watch it. It's on YouTube. All right. Look, if Mary Tester's telling me to do something, I'm going to have to do it. It's like Dave. And I'm in it. And you're in it too. I was, yeah, I was more than happy avoiding it for the rest of my life. Thanks, Mary. <laughs> you apparently have a whole list of things you have to do now because do. of your guests. I do. <laughs> so I just, I haven't had time. It's editing episode after episode and preparing for them. And next week we've got another icon on the show. So there's another pressure on the shoulders to do good. So I hope we did good today. You're only as good as your last show. That's what they say. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be fine. So hope this was a good show. I hope you had a good time. Miriam. I had a lovely time. Thank you so much for asking I'm me. I'm so honored, really am. I- Thank you. This was nice. It was great fun. And you really did your homework and I appreciate it. And it was yes. very nice to meet you both. Yes, no, it's an absolute honor to have any of these guests on this silly little show where I'm making a fool of myself from before we even start recording. <laughs> now, where can people find you on the social medias? I am on Instagram. Yep. It's at Mary Testa dot actress, I believe. Yes. I was actually just just quickly wondering, I was looking up um, that you were in in the rink. Um, are you on mm-hmm. the original the original cast recording of that as well? No, I stood by for Liza Minnelli. Bugger. Oh, wow. Yep. Gotcha. Stand by for Liza. God, is that intimidating? And that was early in your career too. It, it was fairly. It was 1984, yeah. I wasn't the original standby. A woman named Lenora Nemitz was the original standby, but then she left and I was hired. Um, I'm just curious, and I, I didn't want to ask it in sort of in the bulk of the episode, but what whatever happened to Joanna Green? Joanna is not performing anymore. Um, She got married. She has kids. I see her on Facebook. Oh, good. But she's not a, an actor anymore. Yeah, but she's still around is what I'm saying. Like, she's still around, yes. Yeah. That's why I, yeah, I, I had sort of tried looking up her resume if she was still acting but no i just oh well i'm not quite sure what she does i think she's um i feel like some she does something with literature but i'm not quite sure what i every now and again we sort of communicate with each other on facebook awesome oh lovely that's good oh the whole gang's back together as they say at the end of grace yes yes which brings us full circle from the ramalamala ramalamalama gag at the start of that uh, but anyways, yes. you at home, you take care, and we shall see you next time. Hooroo. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mary. Yes. Thanks for having us. It's been a pleasure.